Welcome back to EXPN, your only source for up-to-the-minute coverage of the League of Ultimate Questing. I'm your host, Paige Theta Rowe, and with me as always is the immense and immaculate Sarge Hardbody. Tell me, Sarge, why does it smell like an orgy of cabbage demons collided with a garbage barge full of dirty matchsticks? It's egg week. All right. No follow-up? I didn't feel it was necessary. I mean, I can explain. No need. It's egg week. That's fine. Well, you see... Nope. Egg week is enough. Egg week is just great. Any further explanation would do little more than excite the imagination, and I'll be having none of that, thank you. The hearing of the Fallow Crown regarding their reinstatement into the League begins today. The Quartet has been seen throughout Zenith petitioning the spokespersons in the hopes of securing their votes. Whether these appeals and apologies have made the desired impact remains to be seen. One thing's for sure, however. You're eating them, right? What? The eggs. You're eating them? Not just cramming them into your butt to be pulverized by whatever tempestuous flora could survive in a colonic coal mine such as yours? I thought you didn't want to know. I didn't. I don't. Let's move on. Then go to commercial. We're going. It's Egg Week. It's Egg Week. The administrator's chamber is a solemn place. The floors are gold-flecked marble. The chairs, benches, and wainscot walls are all of mahogany with violet upholstery and wallpaper. Above, you are lit by a non-Euclidean Magitech chandelier, which shifts in shape and design to fit the lighting needs of all inside including spotlights for votes and testimony. The administration enters, shadowed. You hear them, moving, shifting, sitting, and waiting. The League of Ultimate Questing v. The Fallow Crown, regarding their reinstatement into the League. Acting Commissioner, Glenn Armistice. The administration has had their opportunity to examine the options, and will now cast their vote. The AAA votes nay. Axes for the unified representation of alignment? It is our feeling that the fallow crown must answer for their crimes against the balance of the cosmos, and as such, we cannot allow them into the League until they have done so. Aura votes nay. Magical Union of Laborers? Well, uh, I mean, <laughs> they cause chaos, and chaos means jobs, so that's a yay from us. Of course. The Adventurer's Guild, as though I should even ask. I'm sorry, Mr. Armistice, if you're so bothered with the proper procedure of things, maybe you shouldn't be sitting, Commissioner. Just cast your vote. The Adventurer's Guild votes yay. They are card-carrying members of the Adventurer's Guild, and as such, are entitled to the rights and privileges therein. Gorsonox of the Spoke of Knox. Well, uh, let's see here. <laughs> oh, what was I doing? Harsh, stark brutalism slices through the Noxic airspace. Thick slabs of obsidian basalt 
and malachite are carved into monolithic structures to interlock at odd, almost impossible angles. The spoke city of Knox cares nothing for the lives of its people. Citizens collect water from fountains and aesthetic features. Food is grown on windowsills or conjured with magic. Nature, at least that of the material plane, is not to be found. In place of trees, there are twisting jade and amethyst spires, which seem to sway in an unseen cosmic breeze. Commerce is carved out of stone, laid wherever it can, wherever it must. In tents, shacks, and caravans cobbled together from what resources can be scrounged or imported. The doorways to enter nearly every structure are at least a foot off the ground, circular in shape and at least eight feet in diameter. Some structures hang in midair with no clear means of ascension. Some roadways are littered with artistic obstacles, such as gemstone spheres, crystal spikes, reliefs carved into the ground, and interspersed water features. Beyond architecture, there are greater concerns. Some shadows have eyes. Some statues shift when unobserved. Hands outstretch from walls and floors. And at moments, creatures can be seen lurking in the dark spaces. A blood-curdling scream echoes along the smooth stone surface and gargles into silence as you approach. And yet despite all of this, the Noxics seem happy. Humanoid, fey, elemental, and goblinoid all seem to have made a life here. And while they are aware of the threats and inconveniences as evidenced by their avoiding them, they seem unconcerned. You see a rich culture of sharing and borrowing, free trade and kindness. However, perhaps paradoxically, the strangest and most mundane thing of all. You see no guards, no municipal workers, no police, no waste management government installations, or any manner of governance at all. These services seem to be tended to by the community as needed. At one point, you see what might well be a criminal trial taking place in one of the few available empty plots of real estate. But you are not concerned with the Noxic and the way they live. You are concerned with the palace. And what a palace it is. The home of Gorsonox is shapes. That is the only defining characteristic. The only definable characteristic. Shapes. Squares and cones and pyramids and spheres, polyhedrons, ovoids and more, all manner of material seeming to have crashed together and fused. Yet the places where they join do not seem clear. Angles are odd somehow, and the longer you observe them, the stranger they become. You land in an empty space next to the palace, which you assume is a viable parking lot, and proceed to what you also assume is the front, and what you presume is an entrance. A hexagonal hole, just askew as to have no flat entry space. There, a Goliath stands next to the door with a disability placard hanging from his neck on a rope, presumably to offer mobility assistance in the form of hoisting. As the Fallow Crown is walking up to the palace... Elvis is reading a page of Opus, which has diagrams and information about beholders, and it seems like too much information to process. Ah, there's so much to know about them. My goodness. Closes it. (sighs) Oh, hello there. Uh, we're here to see Gorsonox. Gors. Well, uh, hey there, brother. Cause it... (sighs) 
you. He froze his brow gently at you, confused. Well, he said. He doesn't seem to be answering. And then finally he speaks. Which of you uh, needs hoisting? No, I think we're pretty covered for hoists. Oh, okay, good. Do we just go in there then? Oh, um, yeah, I think so. Good enough. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you for your service. All right. Uh, Nelly, you need a ride? I wouldn't turn one down. All right, up on. Penelope climbs up onto Nusha's shoulders. Whoa, 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 hold on there. I'm for hoisting. <laughs> this is recreational. Oh, all right. Well, I think that's okay. We, uh, I can be called a Class B hoist. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Not unless you're part of the union, you ain't. <laughs> <laughs> a hoister's union. <laughs> <laughs> Will there be much difficulty going through this palace? Well, I don't know. We've never left the lobby. Well, I don't have a body, so I could use a hoist. Yeah, all right. Who knows, Gasper? You could be in arms away. <clears throat> he walks towards you with his arms outstretched and kind of a, how do I? So, um, uh, is there a, I don't know. I'm going to offer my arm for a handshake. He takes it, trying to figure out how he's supposed to lift the arm while you're still attached to it. Uh, don't worry, the rest of me is very light. <laughs> when our hands shake, the golden arm is going to split vertically, and then, well, it's going to open up, swing, and then close onto his arm. <laughs> As it does, your essence flows into him. He, in a flash moment of insight, realizes this is the true nature of hoisting. This is the pure hoist, and does not object. Your essence fills this Goliath. He's hoisting from the soul now. <laughs> they say lift with your legs. They never taught me how to lift with my heart. <laughs> I'm going to turn to Penelope on my back and be like, oh, well, Gasper gets to be a Goliath now. And I'm... <laughs> well, you know what? Oh, I bet we can get through the next room before he does. <laughs> I'm going to start taking the stairs three at a time. As you enter, you realize you are uncertain as to where to go. There are hallways splitting and shifting, stairwells that lead up to walls that have no doors. And then, someone approaches. A robed figure. They don't seem to walk so much as glide. Beneath his black robes with gold embroidery, wet chittering and rasping can be heard. He steps forward and lifts his head casting just enough light to reveal a white, pallid mask. Beneath it, you can barely see enough to realize that his face is made up entirely of vermin. Bugs, insects, worm, and other invertebrates have arranged themselves into the semblance of a smiling humanoid face that comes clear as he pulls the mask off. Oh, thank goodness someone who works here. <laughs> he places the mask back on. Oh, dear. Um... We're a little bit lost. This place doesn't have any signage. That's okay. My name is Shresh. I am here to provide assistance in your task. Wonderful. Love to hear it. 
What kind of assistance? Any you should require. I work with the Lady Luthien to run Gorsonox. Uh, I'm sorry, run Gorsonox? Is that not your leader? <laughs> yes. You have to understand that he is a difficult man to control. Ah, Nox seems to run itself, but its leader is something else entirely. Well, we uh, came here to see them, I suppose, so you could help us with that. Sure. Somehow, though, I don't think you'll get what you're after if you speak to him. Well, if you have a better solution, uh, I'll give him the basic details of our task here. As you say it, he taps his own chest. I can help. Please, with me. Lead on by all means. The palace itself is every bit as strange and monolithic as the city. With doors above ground level, walls that curve and turn at odd angles, halls that seem to take more than three turns, only to come to a space that does not intersect with that from which you came. Shresh leads you through a series of corridors, and a few of these larger circular doors, until you eventually find yourself in what can only be generously described as a throne room. This vast obsidian hall is punctuated with pillars of glowing chartreuse stone, which appear to be the only light available. On a large circular dais lies what looks like a vast egg cup, laden with velvets and silks. Below this, a simple table of sturdy wood and a few chairs, one of which contains a beautiful, elderly, elven woman in simple, unadorned green velvet dress. Her raven hair is speckled with silvery strands like radiant tinsel. It falls in thick black and silver tresses to her mid-back. Her violet eyes crinkle as you approach, and she gestures for you all to sit. Best to hop down now, Penny, dear. But I'm already sitting. Uh, manners in front of new friends. Okay. We can go back to this soon. Okay. But just be careful not to drop, or there's no safety rails on any of these stairs. Everything's very sharp. I'll uh, hoist you down then, won't I? Thank you, Wusha. Maybe we can go to the park later and challenge people to races. They are waiting for these two to finish. Oh, uh, they're all done now. They, very, they haven't seen each other in a long time. Oh, I'm sorry, you're waiting for... She hops down into a chair. It is customary for people to grant respect to their hosts. Uh, thank you for having us. My name is Iavos Isadora, from the Fallow Crown. Yes, I know who you are. But you do not know who we are. I am Luthien Blackstar, wife and caretaker to Gorsonox. This is Shresh, my personal assistant and advisor to Gorsonox. You are here to speak with us. Is Gorsonox not part of this conversation? I love my husband beyond words. But if he were here, he would fuck it all up like you wouldn't believe. One of those, eh? You cannot even imagine. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be here either. That's too bad. I haven't heard a lot about the Beholders, but I've heard their eyes are very beautiful. I agree, though now his are clouded by time. Well, we are here to speak, and this seems like a fine place to do so. Indeed. The echo is marvelous for singing. 
I look at Wuxia with like a <laughs> don't you even. He's already like midway through breathing in, but he definitely <laughs> stops. Allow me to start. Luthien and I are very interested in helping you to the best of our ability, which admittedly is a little light. Uh, our master is difficult and unpredictable. So there's every possibility that we would convince him to vote in favor of you, and then that would simply not be what he does in the moment. Sounds a bit dangerous, but... It is. Sounds like our best shot either way. Is there anything we can do to help your odds? I wish this were the case, but I fear that being that none of you are aberrant might... Put him off. I can uh, look aberrant. My stepdad was a bit of an aberration. What exactly is it you intend to do when you are reinstated as the Fallow Crown? Well, we owe a great deal of debt to Aura for having revivified our friend and put him in a new body. So our first priority is to pay that debt off. A noble enough goal? Yes. But why, I wonder, must your friend have been brought back? Why did you not simply live your lives? Doesn't the League and its trifles seem somewhat beneath you now? In many ways it does, but for me personally, I feel like we still have unfinished business with the League. Hmm. Plus, we're a crew. We don't do things without each other. There's a lot of people back on the ring that need our help. And uh, we can't do nothing for them. What help do they need? She just interrupts you. There are plenty of people there who are taken advantage of, disrespected. Plenty of people there who are treated like less than. And it's my hope that in working in the league, with the league, for the league, we can bring attention to people like that. They chose that life. The ringers do not, are not forced to be there. Having lived that life before, I can tell you, we choose, but without full knowledge of what it is. Hmm. Unfortunate, but we all make choices that are unpredictable in their outcomes. I feel like they are exactly where they want to be. In a way, yeah, you're right. They are where they want to be, but without the tools they need. And I think, at least somewhat, it's the League's job to tell them what tools they need, or try to provide them with some. Hmm, so you take resources from one thing and put it into another thing, even though the system works fine as it is. Interesting. I ain't seen that system work fine. You're alive. And now a member of a team, no? Technically, neither of those things are true. Hey, you're right. Not without undue hardship and unfair conditions. Hmm. Then why pursue adventure if you do not seek hardship and unfair conditions? Hardship on the job and at work? is a different thing than hardship at home. Hmm. I had always believed that the adventurer's home was the road. I thought that too for a while. Please, Laylee, if I may. There are other people here. It, simply one of many things we might be able to improve if we're on the league. There are still people that need help as well. Every time we go and do a quest, we help people. Especially off-world. My existence disrupted a lot of balances. I want to set them right. 
I want to make up for the things that I did. And I want to help our friends that still need it. There's some things that only being a part of the League can give us access to. Why else did you agree to be part of the Battle Axis if it were not for the condensed amount of quintessence access? If I am speaking honestly, Gorsonox is something of a loser. I love him dearly, but among beholders, he is not an impressive specimen. And in general, he is unwanted by his own people. And so, this posed an opportunity to potentially improve his standing. But you must know something of beholders, yes? I've read a bit. They got eyes and know what beauty is. <laughs> I heard he made that joke, Usha. <laughs> they are creations of their own will, born from nothing. Their bodies are what they want them to be. And yet... Where in the hell? What am I... What am I looking for? Woo! Woo! Oh dear. Perhaps it's best you go. Yes, immediately. They stand up and begin to, like, gesture that you run away. Oh, boy. But I still have so many questions. Oh, no, it's too late. A door opens in the wall. A circle of the wall simply falls inward. And from it enters Gorsonox. You have never seen a fat beholder before. Most of you have never seen a beholder at all. You've also never seen an old beholder before. And yet there he is. Gorsonox. His once vibrant aubergine skin has faded to a worn periwinkle. His underbelly sags like that of a pregnant cat. His central eye is milky with cataracts, and only half of his stalks seem to be living. The other half appear to be behaving wildly independent of their master. Behind him follow two individuals. The first is a thin, sickly illithid with acid green skin and one missing eye. He wears no shirt and a simple black skirt. His only other accessory is a large tank of iridescent fluid strapped to his back. Inside that tank is a pulsating, menacing brain. The other companion is also a brain, but rather than a jar and a man, this one moves by way of four legs, not unlike those of a lion. Some of you recognize this creature as an intellect devourer a being that would be perfectly at home here, except for the fact that it seems to be behaving like a dog. It's a big one. <laughs> the pink wrinkle dog is cute. I believe that's a Weimariner. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't make it to the exit before Gorthy busted in? Barely did you even stand up before the door opened. Remembering what Shresh said earlier, that none of us are aberrations, Wuxia is quickly going to try out one of his new abilities and cast Disguise Self. <laughs> and by that, I mean the front of his body is going to split like the skin of a ripe fruit to show one giant mouth from forehead to wiener, opening up <laughs> wide, covered in teeth and suckers with just a bunch of eyes in the middle. Awesome. The Intellect Devourer runs up to you, Iavos, and begins frantically sniffing at Opus. Oh, dear. <laughs> He smells my brain. <laughs> I want you to roll me Arcana. 
All right. Well, you do rub it all over everything. 17. You're fairly certain intellect devourers are very intelligent creatures, or at least sentient creatures. Cruel and merciless, yes, but they use bodies like puppets and serve decadent ends. They are willful beings. But this one doesn't seem to be thinking too hard. I think maybe they've inbred their intellect devourers. <laughs> Back on Eudaimonia, some people do engage in that kind of role play. <laughs> you all hear a voice in your head. Yeah, she pretty much gets it. Penelope reaches down and pets the intellect devourer. Its slimy brain flesh is not unpleasant necessarily if you're into that kind of thing. And as you do, uh, you specifically hear, don't let the big guy know. I don't want to mess up a good gig. Your secret's safe with me. I'm just vibing. <laughs> Who's a good boy? Yeah, that's, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. More of that. Give him some belly scritches, and now I'm I'm good. I'll keep playing with him. <laughs> tickle the cortex a little bit. <laughs> I'll take off the Goliath's disability plaque or whatever sign. Okay, fetch and toss to the corner of the room. He runs after it and brings it back. As you interact with this creature, Gorsonox seems entirely confused as to why he's here. I I, I was looking for something. Ah, oh, my nightcap. Oh, where's my nightcap? The wife steps up, reaches into a satchel at her side, and from it, she pulls an unnaturally large hat. It seems to be a big, floppy, triangular hat with a puffball on the end. Is this what you're looking for, darling? It was so early in the day. I didn't think you were ready for a nap. No, I'm not. I'm not trying to nap. Trying to show my hat to my friends. Okay, yes, darling. Maybe you should run along and play with your friends. Ha! New people. Two of the stocks kind of point at you. What are they doing here? Hello, sir. It's very nice to meet you. My name is Gorsonox. He points to himself with his stock. Not sir. I apologize. It's very nice to meet you, Gorsonox. Right, I like that. More people. Your hands are covered in brain juice. Yeah, that happens sometimes. Give him a polite bow. He does, tries to do the same, but kind of like tips a little bit and kind of holds it for a second, not realizing how to write himself, and then finally does. Greetings, O hoverous and observant one. What is that? Uh, greetings, very rad cool guy. Ha! Yeah, that's me. Are you met Noggin? He points his stock towards the intellect devourer. Call him Noggin. Because his brain. Very clever. <laughs> we almost had a pet once. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? Shresh and Luthien just kind of shrug at you. We came to seek an audience and we're having a meeting with your lovely wife and assistant. Yeah, right. Um, I think you're supposed to seek an audience with me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how that works. She shrugs, kind of cringing a little bit, and gestures for you to go on. They just wanted to make sure we were cool first, so that you're not bothered by uncool people. Yeah, that's right. We came to offer you a gift. Hey, I like gifts. Uh, 
pardon me if I am mistaken, but I have been researching your majestic species for the past while. Uh. It came to my understanding in my studies that very much of your manifestation is drawn from your own will and your dreams. Yeah, you bet. I happen to be somewhat of a dream guide. Perhaps there is a you you wish to seek out within your dreams I could help you find. Look, I I always like a dream guy. Usually when I dream, it's just like going to the store or something. I don't even know. I don't even need to go to the store. I don't even, I don't don't think I've ever been to a store except in my damn dreams. I'll I'll take a dream. Well, um, look to his wife. She gives you thumbs up. (laughs) We would love to offer you this gift to be in your good graces. Wait, is that why I was looking for my nightcap? You just knew like it was magic. Yeah. That's why I wanted the nightcap. Take a nap. All right. Fuck off, noggin. Fuck off. The dog just kind of looks back and forth and then just kind of slinks away. Fucks off as best a dog can. (laughs) Uh, In black. Um... Put your thing, the, the shooting thing you got, you put that on his head. If he does anything stupid, you paint the wall with his brains. Imblat, the illithid, walks forward, reaches into his skirts, and pulls out what looks like an odd metallic device. And he points it at you with some kind of malicious intent. Gulp, the wiener pistol. Well, I've leaned over to the fellow crown. I mean, I know how to do this, but I've never actually done this for something like this. Let's give it our best, shall we? (laughs) All right. You've got this. Well, when I picture Beholder with the big nightcap, I can't help but think of the honk shoes. (laughs) The me, 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 me's. That's fair. Um, My intent is to guide Gorsanox through their own dreams to find a better version of themselves. I like it. He doesn't seem interested in going back to a bedroom or any other kind of quiet place. Instead, he nestles into the giant egg cup, which comes right up to halfway on his eyeball. All right, I'm ready. Then sleep. Oh, yeah, okay. He closes the eye and immediately starts honk shooing. Yay. (laughs) With absolutely not a moment hesitation, all of you are blasted with an overwhelming surge of arcane energy. Every single hair on your body stands on end. You can feel your clothes sticking to you like static electricity and things feel different, wrong, like they're changing. You look at your friends and see that their facial features start to contort a little bit, the same way that you might remember somebody differently than they actually look. It's as though you're being caught in his memory of what just happened. His latent powers of manipulation are very strong. Please, be very careful. We have tried in the past to awaken him to his own capacities, and unfortunately, it has gone very poorly for the Dreamwalkers. Good info at this juncture. (laughs) He didn't ask you to walk into his head. I was pulling ideas out of my ass. (laughs) Well, this might well be an opportunity. Uh, We're going to go. Because we don't want to be pulled into his mind space. But good luck. Luthien and Shresh depart. Well, I'm going to guidance myself. Obviously. And using some of the kind of rituals that I learned from Falric, attempt to project myself into Gorsanox's mind. 
like you to give me an Arcana roll. And I'd say you, you would be able to use Opus for this. I was going to say I'll reopen it to the page about beholders and how they dream. <laughs> that is a 26. As you approach the giant beholder, you realize that there's a door in his egg. When you walk through it, it feels like the most natural thing in the world to step into his dreams. Hmm. And the dream you see is like a cosmic Walmart. Inside, all manner of things laid on the shelves, and that's it. You see clerks wandering around. None of them look like people, but they also don't really look like an aberrant you've ever seen before. Heads long and tapered at the top with holes in their faces. Things that seem to walk on their fingers and crawl across the walls with the bottoms of their feet, almost like spiders. Things that you could see almost being people if you really squinted. Corsonox is standing looking at a can of creamed corn the size of your head and just totally uncertain as to what he's supposed to do here. I'm going to attempt to guide him looking at the signs hanging above the different aisles, which are probably in gibberish. <laughs> oh, there seems to be a very good special on aisle 11. Would you join me in discovering it? He turns to look at you and his eye is clear, clear as day, sharp and crystalline. What are you doing here? I wanted to show you something important. You've made a mistake coming here. Perhaps. Show me what you will and then leave. As you wish. We'll go past the yard furniture, past the hardware <laughs> section, past the clearance aisle, to the section where they sell mirrors. Aisles and aisles of mirrors, all facing inward. Hmm. And I say, why look at this? Look at this clear-eyed, strapping, cunning, intellectual monster. Brilliant. What a sight to behold. He squints his eye, almost in pain, and then turns and opens it. Oh no. What have you done? And suddenly, you find yourself forced out of his mind. Not out of a door, but almost out of your own head into your body, like you're folding in on yourself. The impact is overwhelming, and you are knocked back several feet. Gorsnox wakes up in a panic. No! No! Ah! Lock him away! Don't wake him up! Immediately, Luthien comes running in. Oh no. What have you done? I showed him his version of himself. In his mind. I've never seen him like this. Not for a very long time. You should go. Yes. Very quickly you should go. I'm thinking we really should this time. As you make your way back, the halls seem to right themselves. Little bit by little bit, every step you take, everything starts to make more sense. Everything starts to be clear. Doors lead to places, stairs lead to hallways. Everything starts to fall in order. You find your way out without any issue and begin to take off. And as you do so, the chorus of screams from Knox grows as the angles that are odd and wrong right themselves and the place that you call Knox becomes what it should always have been. You stand before the administration and you hear a familiar voice. Is the opinion 
of the spokesperson of Knox that these individuals are a threat to the League of Ultimate Questing, and I vote nay. Following their meeting with what can generously be called the upper echelon of Knox, Gorsonox, spokesman for the Aberrant City, has submitted no less than 43 items to the administration, many of which have been scheduled for oddly specific times throughout the coming year. Doesn't this guy have gray matter like a Sunday scramble? These items have got to be a wash. He does, or perhaps did. But despite his mental limitations and full workload, Gorsonox has also begun several new sweeping infrastructure changes over the last few days, many of which have displaced the local populace. But hey, look on the sunny side. It's not often politicians put this much effort into infrastructure. But in all honesty, I thought Knox was run by Luthien and Shresh. Indeed. Due to Gorsonox's difficulties, a small council of advisors has acted as de facto leaders. However, Following the Fallow Crown's visit, a blazing row could be heard emanating from the palace. It seems his wife and friend have been displaced. Eyewitnesses report seeing the pair moving into an 83.5-story flyup on the opposite end of town. I'd always heard that dealing with this guy was like walking on eggshells, but it takes a real hard-boiled bastard to throw out your wife and advisor in the same day. Okay, okay. Thank you, Sarge. Boy, there's gonna be egg on his face when the chickens come home to roost. It can't just be eating eggs, right? All week, just egg stuff? Is this a religious thing? Does the Iron Church set aside a week for ovum observation? Okay, so... No, no, I... thank you. I'd rather not. But you just asked me... I know, and I already regret it. Let's just... go to commercial. We'll be right back after these words from our non-egg-related sponsors. We're about to witness a planar phenomenon, a keyhole between worlds that only marketing can penetrate. Join me as we glimpse into the adverse. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. <coughs> oh, I'd give anything to get rid of this cold. Did you say anything? Um. What would you say if I told you I had a program in place that could completely cure you of the cold by morning? That sounds vague. Hi, I'm Dr. Rez, and using my new state-of-the-art Rez technology, I can cure your body of any and all diseases. It's as simple as this. First, send me your symptoms and your address, as well as 1,000 gold drags. I analyze your symptoms and make a specialty plan tailored to your needs. That evening, I send a trained assassin into your home to murder you in your sleep. The next morning, our crack team of corpse collectors will get you on the res wagon and take you to our headquarters, where your body will be bombarded by radiant magic ripping your soul from the afterlife and returning you to your former husk. Your new resurrected body will be just like new. Horrible psychological damages from being ripped out of the afterlife unwanted, but germ and disease free. My state-of-the-art method can save the day for all kinds of problems. Rashes, headaches, ancient curses, 
bad haircuts, binder's plague, skipping work, black lung, and expedited marital issue resolution. Don't wait. Call me, Dr. Rez, today. Starting over feels great. Hey, all you cuties. Do not go gently into that good mid-roll. Let's take a second to talk about Patreon. I know I've been chin-wagging about it often enough in the mid-roll, but sometimes I fail to impress how vital it is to the existence of the show. It's quite literally all the return we get for all the work we put into the show, aside from the kind words and support from our community, which do mean the world to us. Without it, we can't pay our actors, we can't afford to host our website and our library of episodes, we can't afford new equipment to make content, and so much more. I really hate coming to you jingling a cup of coins, but we've seen a lot of rise and fall in our Patreon this year, and we just want to know what we can do to make it worthwhile for you. If the content of the episodes doesn't feel like enough for the investment, or the D&D bonus content like maps and magic items for DMs that we put on the Patreon, or LUQ form fillable character sheets, or bonus episodes and music, just let us know what we can do to make it better. We want you to feel good about your investment, and we don't want to let you down. And a huge, huge thank you to those who've kept your support going over the years. You're amazing. And speaking of Patreon supporters, this week for our Battle Axis team examination, we look at the champion rank team, The Wild Company. With TJ as Kirian Morrow, Robert, a.k.a. Rednave, as Farina Atera, and Justin, a.k.a. That One Guy, as Flock Stratchman. And of course, our legendary mid-roll teams are as follows. The Titans Rise, the Ceaseless Horde, and this week's featured team, the Twilight Concord, with Maisie, Mike Gordon, Big Boy Roy, and Caitlin Oliver. To get a personal message read on the show or for possible advertising opportunities, reach out to admin at slapdashstudios.com and follow us at twitch.tv forward slash slapdash streams for Monday Night Live premieres with Dana and other streaming throughout the week. Our current mailing address is P.O. Box 2511 Southeast Pine Street, Portland, Oregon 97214 if you have anything you're dying to send the cast. And the usual rule is no homemade food, which I stand by, but some of the photos being posted on the Discord lately make me regret it. And speaking of the Discord, don't forget to join it. It's free, and you'll get lost in all of the warm welcomes, funny memes, and great personal interactions with the cast and creators of the show. We'd love to have you there. Give it a shot. But that's enough out of me. Let's get you back to the Battle Axis. You were born to toil in a vessel of mortal flesh and blood. You struggle to amass wealth and elevate yourself in a competitive cutthroat society made up of others like yourself. Specks of sand on the cosmic beach. You live for one purpose and one purpose only. To feel special. Well, now there's a way to exchange the meager fruits of your labor for super neat objects, advancements, and innovations. All while maintaining your busy, soulless schedule on your road to an early grave. But where can such wonders be obtained? Why, from the gods themselves, of course. Have you heard of fire? It cooks, it kills, it cremates and consumes crops. How about medicine? Who needs a fountain of youth when you can drink purple grape syrup to help fix your cough? You want to kill your fellow mortals faster and easier than ever? We've got spears, slings, sharp sticks, stone axes, and even poison. Let us steal from the gods for you today. With new Gometheus, Express Divinity Shopping, you can afford not to acquire these coveted tools of a higher power. 
Your society depends on it. Don't get tied down with stress and consumed by a bird. I mean jealousy. That's our job. Be a pro and go Metheus today. The silhouettes and shadows of the administration stare down at you. Spokesperson for the Bowery. Doug. Oh, no. Uh, hey. Hey, guys. Um, well, uh, well, Penny's an anomaly, and that's pretty cool. Uh, y'all seem to do a lot of wacky stuff. I'll give it a yay. Thanks, Doug. I'm Thanks, surprised. Doug. <laughs> Spokesperson for Verata, Johan Gatta. Yes, well, um, I can't see any reason why they should not be allowed back into the League. We allow all manner of evils, some more apparent than others. So I vote yea. Spokesperson for Kinuent, Gilder of the Broken Court. Below, the verdure of Kinuent has begun to return. While it is not what it once was, it is recovering. Where once great oaks, like skyscrapers, towered over lush forests, now stand young glades of greenwood, home to tentative wildlife. The people are recovered as well. Camps have been erected where work must be done. But what you see are not the hoi polloi of your typical sylvan glade. Instead, elder, greater, and outer fay, whose souls could endure the assault of the darkwood, labor, to facilitate the birth of new life, sowing mushroom circles, erecting cairns, burning crops and game, and even themselves in sacrifice. But these vistas of new life are tainted, for throughout the fields and glades of Kinuent, crypts and mass graves and barrows and other monuments to the dead can be seen and found in abundance. And though life presses on, the eternal spring of Kinuent has given way to a winter, and these dark places are now home not only to fay, but to creatures of shadow. You land at a familiar dock where great boulders lie inanimate, now carven with runes of peace. However, as you begin your walk toward a heshka, small stones and gravel around you spring to life, before your eyes, vaguely, and I do mean vaguely, humanoid shapes, cobble themselves together from the surrounding rocks. One of these creatures seems to be having a problem. The stone which makes up his chest is quivering, as though it is under tremendous pressure. The creature frantically scans the surroundings, saying, I need something bigger! I need something bigger! By the great tree, I need something bigger! They find a bigger rock and slam it into their chest. The smaller rock fires off as if the force of the pressure was too great, and their body rearranges itself to accommodate the new stone. The smaller stones begin to shake periodically, as though they too must soon be replaced. You continue on the path, passing graveyards and crypts, around which shadowkin can be seen. Black shrouds with white masks pulled in rictus grins and somber means peer from the shadows. 
feather-cloaked witches with beaked masks walk stilted on all fours through flourishing bogs. Pale humanoid shapes, too long by far, as though stretched to extremis, judder and shake as they press their faces close to you in detailed examination. Living blue flames radiate cold as they float over the charred remains of a willow grove. Grubs, the size of melons, crawl across the ground, their needle-like feet dripping with ink, which etches strange prose wherever they walk. Great mouths with two human teeth and tongues open on the ground to sing shanty songs in gibberish, or perhaps a language long forgotten that only the shadows still recall. As they finish their chorus, they smack and lick their lips in hungry anticipation. And as you reach the end of the path, you find a congregation of hollow, sitting in awe of a roadside prophet, whose every inch of flesh is plastered with sheets of paper, on each a suicide note of a life long ended. His words, a prayer of peace for those lost. Life has returned to the great tree of Aheshka. Fresh buds fit to burst cluster on her branches, and the golden glow of her, while nowhere near so radiant as once it was, pulsates with light. Gilder stands at her great double doors. He seems older now, white creeping into his face and around his eyes. But he gives you a wry smile. Offer a polite bow. Hello. It's been too long, Gilder. I wouldn't say that. Penelope meets his gaze awkwardly, and as soon as he looks at her, she drops to the ground and kneels in front of him. Please, don't behave like one of them. I'm sorry, Gilder. I'm so sorry. You should know better than to imply that you owe me something. Please, a little lunch. He pads forward into Aheshka, and walks through the hallways of one of the long routes which spread out from the lobby. To either side, shops have finally begun to reopen, and he leads you to a small cafe, whose Art Nouveau stylings are robust and beautiful. He sits on a large pad, on what looks like a wide stool, with seats all around the table for the rest of you. Taking a seat, Penelope speaks. So you're... You're not furious with me? If there were no consequence, I would kill the four of you where you sit. But, am I furious? No. I don't feel much about you at all anymore. We have had our recovery. We are doing better now. And you, in truth, seem to be suffering enough. I'm... I'm glad we're cool. We are not cool. Damn. (laughs) Nothing is cool. But I'm not going to kill you, which should be enough. I... I'll take that. But you're here for something, yes? You wouldn't just walk into Kinuin, knowing that all these creatures all around you probably wish you ill. Yeah. We were hoping to speak with you about the, um... The upcoming trial. You don't say. You weren't sure you already knew that. You'd be correct. What would you like to speak about? Uh, I suppose my first question would be if you've 
yet reached your decision. A fae does not decide until the moment of decision. But I'd say I'm definitely leaning one way. Is there anything I could do or offer you to make the odds more likely to fall in our favor? You are a threat, fair farthing. A threat. Do you understand that? Um, it's actually Isadora now. I'm sure it is. But your adoptive status notwithstanding, you are still a threat. For me to allow you to be here on this beautiful Magitech satellite amidst these burgeoning and slowly recollecting peoples, I would have to be insane. I have no assurance that you are not still bound by darker things. And I have no assurance that you would not turn on us the second you had an opportunity. Hmm. Thank you for sharing your opinion. As uh, close to the floor as it may be. I am not a liar, and I do not hide the truth like some fay. I don't treat it like a nut to be squirreled away. It is a truth, and it should be known. And the truth is, I do not like any of you anymore. I have a slightly more positive attitude towards your reincarnated friend, however. He is an untouched fay creature, still bursting with possibilities, even if the spirit that inhabits him is the same. I can guarantee you, Catman, I ain't the same. There's a whole new whoosh in here, and uh, this one knows how to learn a lesson forever. I ain't need nothing of yours, except your vote of yes. Then we can be out your hair for the rest of time, till the seas boil over and ain't no more. As you speak to him, you find you don't want to lie. You find that his eyes kind of bore into you, and there's a sense of power that emanates from him, a sense that you never had before. You're not certain if this is a side effect of your new body or simply an awareness of the threat he poses. My offer, as it were, is simple in its telling. We leave you well enough alone. You leave us well enough alone. I don't see any of us having business to do this place any longer. And were we in the League, were we part of it, were we a team, it would be easier to establish rules and oldens, making sure we bother you no longer. Oh, wow, the word of a mortal. Hold on while I try to cope with the, the, the truth pouring from your mouths. I'm certain you speak with honesty. Nothing binds you, nothing keeping you, I don't know, uh, 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 in service to a greater power. And of course, everything you say must be honest, because you're just a small, humble creature. Perform as you like, Catman. I'm not here to impress you. No, that's exactly what you're here for. You're here to impress upon me that you are not simply a wolf in sheep's clothing. And frankly, your words, though moving, are not compelling. Nothing binds you to them. But that, my former friends, is exactly what I propose. Perhaps you could just swear an oath and that would be enough, but I don't think so. I think it's important that the well-being of this place be tied to yours. I propose that you drink the sap of the wild heart. 
bind yourselves in service and protection to the Fay and her borders, and I would cast a vote in your favor. That's a big ask, Kildar. As is letting you stay here. Sidebar with the team, Catman. Wusha, huddling and taking the team aside, is noticeably a different being on top of being shifted and changed physically. The smell that once clung to him constantly, that half-rotted fish smell, does not waft off of him being this close to him. I gotta tell you straight. I do not want to do this. I don't like this place. I don't like the people who are in it. And it's taken too much from me and too much from all of us. However, should you decide that this is the wise thing to do, this is the direction we need go, then I ain't going to hold you back and I'll join you. What does this even entail? Drinking the sap of the wild heart. Gaffos, Nelly, you know? I don't see how we could possibly agree to that. It's just an allegiance, right? It would bind us to them. Uh, it, it would come with gifts, but also with responsibilities. Um, you might even look at them as curses. We would not be able to bring harm to good fae. We would not be able to uh, refuse aid to any fae. Well, aid within reason, I suppose, but you know how words are. It's a lot to ask. If I'm to speak candidly, Gasper, seems like you just got out of this exact shit deal. Jumping back in with both feet sounds like a mistake to me. It's not ideal. If it if it goes as deep as you say, then there's no way that we can take it. I wouldn't do that to my friends, and I still have bad memories of this place. Yavos? I cannot. Not like this. We cannot be bound to this place with the plans we have. We've already made promises we must keep. And I respect that Gilda does not trust us or Penny. She carries the burden of that which destroyed this world, nearly. It just saddens me that he doesn't trust this version, but he did trust the one before, and it was more of a threat. We sound decided, then. I assume he can hear me saying this. I figure he listens to us at all points. And while you all may not care for Kinuit that much for whatever reason, I find it a beautiful place. And if they call for my help, if I am able, I will come and help them at any time, for I care about them very much. But it will be on my terms. I cannot be held to it, regardless of what the future holds. I say, kind of looking in Gilder's direction. Gilder, you're right. Truth should be truth. We can't accept your offer, but we will leave and not come back. If you would entertain me, I would ask one final question. What are the chances that she's truly dead? 100%. But then again, she was never the threat. The spotlight shines hard in the administrator's chamber. Gilder purrs gently to himself. I abstain. You can't abstain. 
This is a supermajority vote. I believe I am entitled to abstain until the end of the voting cycle. I'd like to hear what the others have to say. Fine. Fine. Tonatiwa of Mitlan. How do you vote? For consorting with the evil of the devil and for other nasty behavior, I vote nay. You dog. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to Acrotaria. Abscissa? Acrotaria is not able. For all of the splendor and wonder of that faraway place, at the center of all things, it is not a place of consistency. Abscissa vinculum, however, demands perfection, and perfection has no room for chaos. The city below you is as close to perfect as any city could be. Industrial centers isolated and powered locally through clean arcane energy. Residential areas are never far from essential commercial services and municipal. Every element of Acrotaria is mathematically precise and aesthetically consistent. A combination of neoclassical simplicity and magitech extravagance. Skyscrapers twist and bend into shapes that defy gravity. Mobius strip walkways hover at the center of three-dimensional gardens. Public transit systems perform probabilistic splits based on passenger load and reconverge at the end of every loop. And yet, all of it looks inexplicably ancient. Carved of marble, shaped of bronze, painted and hewn in frescoes and reliefs with godlike beauty and precision. The grandeur and scale of every element of this place speaks of a golden age from some long-forgotten civilization, born through time and space to the present. And at the center, the palatial estate of Absissa Vinculum, a monument to commerce, self-sufficiency, and ego. You've heard rumors that the palace does not import any goods or services from outside her walls, and now, now that you see it, you would not be surprised to find this to be true. Before you, in the center of Acrotaria, is no home, no mansion, but a colossal marble statue of its very spokeswoman. The long tresses of her mane are not styled in strands, locks, and curls, but instead the marble is shaped into layered parchment cut and folded into dazzling blossoms, each layer painted in a gradient of yellow to red, like origami flame. It's said that any time she changes her hair, the stone is reworked and repainted to match. The same likely could not be said of her clothes, for the woman depicted before you wears none at all. Her long and delicately muscular body holds a power stance, with both arms holding aloft a vast bowl whose contents have not been sculpted, but grown into a rich, multi-tiered garden. Water pours from the open archways around its circumference, vines drip from the rim, and big, bright fruits can be seen even from this distance. As you approach her feet, where all supplicants must enter, the air slows, and you catch and name the scent of jasmine and elderberry, which has puzzled you since you entered her airspace. The Aetherport lies in front of the Colossus, and even this utilitarian place is replete with marble statues and grapevines and olive trees. Penny, as you move through this space, you can't help but wonder if its design 
was based off of your home. This all looks strangely familiar. Wish I had better memories of your home. It was nice when it was nice, but boy, when it turned tail, went bad for old me. I'm sorry you didn't get to live with us when I grew up there. I'm surprised I was gone as long as I was. When you were sinking into the dark place that I experienced, everything sort of loses its meaning. Well, sometimes you must seek answers in the bottom of a bottle. (laughs) You know, that was a real Mm. deep bottle. The entrances to the palace are at the arches of her feet. The left, a service entrance and shipping and receiving depot. The right, a lobby for supplicants. As you approach, you realize that the staff are not Abelite, or at least not the same race as Absissa. They seem to be all manner of races, some you've never seen before. The only Abelite you see is walking directly towards you. A tall, muscular man with gray skin and a nearly bald head. What hair you do see is actually short strips of paper, shorn to nothing on the sides and just a small bit on the top. He wears fitted robes of overlapping linens and silks whose layers create a simple but elegant latticework. Supplicants to Madame Vicinum, I trust? Yes, we would very much love to see her. Excellent. Please, with me. You are led to a bronze elevator, not unlike a filigree birdcage. The steward places a key into a mechanism, and the elevator zips up. You pass floor after floor of residences, shopping centers, professional and commercial services, maintenance and municipal functions, everything a fortress could need to be self-sustained. And finally, after a mere moments, you come to your destination. The doors open to the interior of the Colossus's face. Behind you is a Victorian-style manse, with a dozen floors, circular towers, and spires throughout. This is no doubt the home of Obsessa herself. Between the face and the home is an expanse of garden, laid out not unlike a museum with displays of ancient artifacts, works of art, statuary, and even in places, living creatures in lavish accommodation. The steward ushers you not towards the home, but to a large spiral stair, which leads up to a luxurious observation deck at eye level of the structure. The climb is long and exhausting, but when you arrive, your breath is stolen for another reason. The woman in front of you wears a style similar to her aid, only significantly more with multiple patterns of overlapping fabric twisting and shifting and blending down the center of her low-cut dress. Along the sides, her creamy caramel skin is exposed with the fabric only joining briefly at the hip. Muscles in her thighs flex and roll and relax in predatory grace as she turns to you, her paper hair whispering gently against itself. Her eyes are twin fractal flames whose geometry pumps and breathes with her pupils. The illusion of their light burns into you. Ha! The fallow crown! Marvelous! I thought I would never get to meet you. Absissa, it is an honor to be here. Your domain is breathtaking. The public transportation, the crown jewel. Hmm. Yes, we do put quite a bit of effort into our um, transport. 
It is, after all, logistics on which any civilization lives or dies. It shows compassion for the lowest, or it is a way to equalize all. Hmm. I appreciate it. Wow. They never said that you were thoughtful in your words. I find that I am usually very thoughtful. I just don't want to give it to others. I was fully expecting you to enter here and, I don't know, tell me off. Have some kind of high-minded moral argument as to why I'm corrupt or vile. I don't think I saw a single instance of abuse. No, you wouldn't. Uh, One of the problems with Abel as a whole is their willingness to just exploit people. People don't work well when they're being exploited. Give them what they need, or at least what they think they need, and they'll just do what you want. Then consider me exploited. <laughs> I like that. I like you. I, um, hmm, I'm sad we haven't met sooner. Wusha's going to lean over to Penny and Iavos and whisper kind of quietly. Is there something wrong with her? I ain't never met anybody who looked at Gaspar and said immediately, I like you. <laughs> But at least this good first impression comes at a good time. Or good timing. Indeed, I'm very excited. I think this is going to go very well. Then, straight on to business then. Absolutely. Officially, we would like your vote to be reinstated into the LUQ. You have it. Easy. You know what else I'll do? I will give you a 105-foot sun sloop. You can just have that. You can also have an Acrotarian manse in our finest quarter. Okay, Wusha, I I think there is something wrong with her. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is fine. This is exactly what I want. And all I ask in exchange is that you sign a two-year flux contract, granting me your team's administrative rights. Wusha's going to put his hand up. Uh, ma'am. Um, where I come from and where you come from, the flux means two different things. Do we have to have the flux that whole two years? <laughs> Gaspar, would you like to explain? No, you, you have... Okay, I was going to say you have to understand a flux contract, but you can't understand it. A flux contract can always change. It can always be anything. So, it's not two years of soiling yourself, then? No. In fact, I would really prefer if you didn't. Oh, me too. To be more specific, a flux contract means that at any point, either party can change the terms of the contract. But it will only change if the terms are something that both parties would have agreed to at the time. At the time that it was signed. You seem to know a whole lot about this, Gasper. This is somewhat of an Abelite specialty. And that's also the same contract I was under. You see, you, uh, you think she's on the level? You see, there is ways to exploit it. Usually, it benefits the one who is least desperate. In my case, I was desperate to get out. I was willing to do anything. And that's exactly what I did. I'm not going to do what a lot of people in my position would do. I'm not going to tell you that you should absolutely sign it, and I will never take advantage of it. I absolutely will, and I can assure you that is going to happen. 
But the question is whether you have a choice and whether you think I'm going to use it to your detriment or to both of our mutual benefit. It's up to you. But this is a group contract, yes? Yes. So it'd have to be something our whole team was willing. You should know better than that. Each of you can have articles, appendices, additions. If one of you might be willing to agree to something, but the other one isn't, then suddenly the situation changes. Again, I want to be transparent here because I want our business relationship to be fruitful, beneficial for all parties, and I would never want us to think, oh, I wish I had never signed that. So you're saying that you're not willing to put us in a situation that would make us unhappy? Absolutely not. And many things I might need of you might make you unhappy, but what I wouldn't do is put you in a situation where you would hate me, or in a situation where you would say, wow, I might be willing to break my contract. And I do want to be very clear. I'm already willing to offer a contract to a contract breaker. So the contract can be broken? You have case in point of that right here. And she gestures to Gaspar. I guess I didn't quite realize. What were the consequences, Gaspar? What you see here is just the beginning of it. I haven't even found out what the worst is. And if it were not me making a deal with this golden arm and anchoring myself, worst case scenario, I would have been disassembled cosmically. Perhaps even your memory of me. People have lost worse than their existence. But here I am, ready to forgive that, even if that makes me a social pariah among my people. Nice talking, lady. Uh, may we have a moment? To chat? Of course. Okay, good. Uh, if we were to take off the boat and the house, would that lower the timeline of the contract at all? No. See, those are part of something I offer to all of my teams. It's just a standard offering. And if we fuse the boat and the house together, we'll get back to that. And just so I'm very clear with you, if you do not accept this deal, and you do succeed in the vote, you will be without an administrator. The commissioner cannot take you. The current commissioner certainly wouldn't. And not a single other administrator has open championship slots. But you see, I thought ahead. If we agreed to this, would you be willing to do everything in your power to help the commissioner? Ooh. Helping the person who could potentially damage my newfound team? I I don't know. He might try to find a way to weasel out of the situation and take you back under his wing, and I don't know if I could do that. Only if you could agree not to let him. For the two-year period? For the two-year period. I've signed on to slipperier captains for longer times, and I've already paid the highest price I could. I could agree, as long as the crew thinks it's best. This is your world, Gaspar. What do you think? Agreements like these, when done in good faith, tend to be some of the most fruitful. We should ask ourselves, are we desperate? It sounds like we're able to make minor addendums as needed, outside of the overarching implication of serving this person for two years in the fashion they see best as our league representative. Um... And the desperation 
from our side comes from the implication that we couldn't live without being on the League. Yes. And I don't know if that's true. I don't think we owe that much to the Commissioner. We saw some of the things that he was getting up to and involving us in. Not letting us know about what was right and wrong. To be clear, I'm more indebted to Rain for having taught us so much and looking out for us, but she was a puppet to him. She ignored the warning signs. If we have an addendum that if we choose to leave the League, the contract ends, then that seems absolutely suitable. Absolutely not. That's the whole point of a two-year contract. The idea that you would suddenly decide to leave the League, that means you could leave the League at any point, and then the contract would end and you could join back into it. Now, I'm not telling you this because, well, I'm concerned that you might do that. I'm telling you this so that you know exactly what these contracts entail. This is an example of something that you wouldn't be able to do on the fly. And how do these contracts work if someone... This is a hypothetical example. We're under the influence of magic. Are you under the influence of magic now? No, I just... My thoughts are racing. Then no matter what you did, later, unless you would have agreed to it now, it won't happen. I only ever been desperate twice in my life, and you three yanked me out of it two times whole. I'm willing to sign. Our administrator's in jail. The commissioner's not the commissioner anymore. We don't have a home. We're not members of the League. We have nothing on Zenith. We either take this contract or we find a new life for ourselves. That, my friend, is exactly the kind of thing you don't want to say out loud. Well, rest assured, if our peace of mind and comfort is important to what we would agree to in signing a contract like this, know that I am at peace. I do not feel pulled in two directions at all. This does seem like the best path right now, though, for what we need to accomplish. If you all feel level-headed about it, then I do too. Gaspar looks out the window to admire Absis's domain once more. This is what she's capable of. With this kind of contract, in bad faith, you would be trying to outsmart this. In good faith, this is what we as a team could become. I want to take this contract. Good faith has often been a strength of ours. Let's do it. And I don't want to, but I'm very willing to. Handshake? Blood sign? What do we do? Paper. All right. She reaches into the tresses of her hair and pulls free a sheet that seems to will itself off. She sets it down on a table, and as she does, a contract appears. The words seem to shift every so many seconds. They seem to change a little bit, but never terribly harshly. Just minor shifts. As you sign, I would like each of you to roll me a wisdom saving throw. This wisdom saving throw will be your resistance against any changes made to this contract. Ooh, oh, just got slightly better at those. Oh, yes. Come on, brand new Fennec and Fox dice. I sponsored. was just thinking the same thing and it done me good. Ooh. Ooh, mine got that dead starfish energy in him. Yavos. 26. <laughs> Penny. Natural 20. Oh! Goddamn. Total? 20. <laughs> Wusha? Wusha gets a big bad 19. Gaspar? 15. I will not tell you what Absissa got. As the ink dries, you see the words two years. 
and suddenly it changes to three. On behalf of Acrotaria, I vote yay, enthusiastically. Enough stalling, Gilder. It's your vote. You hear a long, drawn silence. I, on behalf of the broken court, I vote yay. Excellent. Well, if there's no further business, I hereby... Sorry I'm so late, everyone. My ship was stalled by customs. Apparently Zenith can't be too careful in these trying times. (sighs) Maven, I'm so glad you could join us. You see, perhaps a human man, perhaps in his late fifties, and definitely dressed in a beautiful, deep red doublet, the black cloak, and a very simple, skin-tight ballroom mask with no adornments and graying hair sleeked back. His face is average, yet beautiful. I know, right? Especially considering I never received an invitation to vote on this matter. How odd. Uh, we sent out a scry over an hour ago. Well, thank the gods I got here in time. Otherwise, I might have been forced to overturn the matter at the next admin council. More would have been the pity, as that would have forced them to appeal, which would have required a waiting period of a year and a day, followed by a full audit conducted by... Oh, right. The commissioner's office. That would have been so inconvenient for you. I'm glad we can spare you from all that tedium especially given how new you are to the role. Well, anyway, let's try to avoid any further mishaps. Just so I'm clear, you are aware of how supermajorities work, aren't you, Glenn? Must have slipped my mind. Well, as you said, thank the gods. In any case, in the matter of the League of Ultimate Questing v. Fallow Crown, vis-a-vis their reinstatement into the League, what say you, Maven? Gosh, that's a tough one. Haven't given it much thought, having been rushed here and all, but, well, I have a soft spot for the underdogs. I'm going to have to go with yay. Excellent. It's my pleasure to hereby reinstate the Fallow Crown as full members of the League of Ultimate Questing with all rights and responsibilities contained therein. (sighs) Of course, you'll still need to qualify as heroes or pass a champion rank trial. Oh, right. (laughs) I forgot. You don't have an administrator. Actually, they do. Of course they do. Well, given that you're card-carrying members of the League now, any visas or work permits that you hold as Zenithal citizens are hereby revoked. And it is my pleasure, as Commissioner of the League of Ultimate Questing, to welcome you back into the fold. The Fallow Crown has officially been reinstated as hero-ranked members of the League of Ultimate Questing. They're in fifth of Vinculum, no less. There's no way Gaspar turned over easy. That's enough. What is it, champ? Stop with the egg thing. It was kind of funny in the first bit, but now it's just bad egg puns. Either explain this egg week or desist with these insufferable wisecracks. Eh, <laughs> cracks. 
you know, like an egg. Sarge! I just eat a lot of eggs. This week, I eat more eggs. That's... that's it. That's all. That's the whole quiche and caboodle. So, I've just... Made a precious triple donkey of yourself on live scry over some egg cracks. Yes. I would like to apologize to the fans and to you, Sarge. My time here on EXPN has been very precious to me, and I feel as I've grown attached to my position as interim anchor. But as much as I wish to remain, I fear in Oh, I'll hold that thought page. It's hatching. Wait, what's hatching? You know, I'm not really sure, but I guess we're about to find out, huh? Go to commercial. But the fans. I don't care about the fans. Just go to commercial. Oh, <laughs> you just said you don't care about the fans on live scrub. <laughs> it's his pleasure. Yo. He had to say pleasure. Look us in the eyes and say pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, we're, we're all back together oh. again. The crown is renewed once more and made whole as it is renewed and made again whole. We're crowning, dude. I'm crowning. <laughs> that, you Glad can't Maven say that got to, to bust in and drop some oh, policies yeah, and procedures like, on their ass. That's pretty cool. So the lines as written here also include, or rather only include, unfortunately, given that your card carrying members, yada, yada. And then it says you'll have to make the same choices every failed team to join a local league or remain on the ring. If you hadn't accepted Absissa, you would have either become ringers or go to a local team. How fun. But here we are. Y'all took the flux contract, which actually surprised the crap out of me, but I'll take it. <laughs> We're the big boys. I was so convinced that y'all would take the Fey and refuse Absissa. Fair enough. You know, maybe, maybe if Gilder had let me pet him one fucking time. Mm-hmm. I just, <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't feel good about that contract. Um, not that this one was great, but she she was very convincing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She has a very very high charisma. Yeah, I could which tell. you should know that anytime you want to change anything in the contract, that's what you'll be rolling. I mean, if I have to get higher than twenty six, I might as well not roll. Oh, I, <laughs> I can do that. So, going around the table, let's introduce ourselves and give our favorite moments. I'm Angelo Kaluug. I play a ghost of Gaspar. And let's see, God, I, I want to say it was a switching to three years on the contract. That was such a, such like, a moment. I feel like I got obviously very manipulated and like seduced into ta- you know, saying yes to that thing, but I have no regrets. And that's just a nice little cherry on top, a little foreshadowing or um, just a taster of what's in store. With the with the deal we've just made. Mm-hmm. So good. My name is Max Hobbs. I play Wusha the Undredged, and he'll have to figure out the rest of his name later. It's what I'm going for. I so like far. Undredged. Thank you. I fucking love the concept <laughs> of Beholder Walmart. I I <laughs> it happened. Beholder Walmart speaks to me. I instantly thought of the like people of Walmart, like photo galleries and shit, but make those like horrid abominations of spider legs and kissy lips. Or just all various nasty beholders doing nasty beholder shit. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so down with like, what would make a behold, what's like a social faux pas for a beholder that gets caught on film and saved on some stupid fucking website somewhere? (laughs) Still still sweatpants. Still, you're, 
You're right. Yeah, it's still just sweat. <laughs> no matter what life you're living, sweatpants are wrong. <laughs> Max Hobbs guarantee. I'm like a holder on a rascal. <laughs> I am Dana Ebert. I play Penelope Isadora, the divine soul sorcerer slash College of Spirits bard. My baby. <laughs> and um, and I, I did make a, a custom background called Sion's Daughter. Ooh, that's awesome. Ooh, I got to see that. I like that. Uh, my uh, name, do you want to yeah, give a favorite moment at all, or just... Uh... Oh, shit. I liked <laughs> all of it. Law's not going to talk about himself, so I am... <laughs> like, like, I liked so, like a thing in each scene, but I really liked like Law's kind of solo dream play, and just the unexpected direction that it took. Like, we fucked that place up. Such That's an intrinsic Law scene to do things that the DM thinks are really cool and successful and also fuck shit up with like, <laughs> it's like, an overall fail, quote unquote. Like as, as we just flew away from it. I'm like, how many of these places are we going to fuck up? <laughs> to be fair, didn't you roll a 16 on that bad boy? Uh, I guess. I don't remember. I want to say it was a 16 because you don't a, fucking remember. No, the one that was the one I had with the book. That oh, was the good right, one. Right, it was right, the right, roll right. before that that was pretty not so great. natural one. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, yeah, that natural one was... <laughs> My name is Law Johnson. I play Alvos Isadora, the baby daddy to Penelope. Um, <laughs> and the uh, Scion of the Withering Acre. Favorite moments. I really like Noggin, the very large intellect of our... <laughs> <who's> just <laughs> so big. Because <laughs> they're like kitty-sized, and I yeah. like the idea of like a giant like golden retriever-sized one. Yeah, that was a good character. I mean, I always just love the cliques that like beholders keep. Like all those nasty underdark boys, there's always like mind flayers and fucking, oh, they're just good. I expected to see like a grill pop in at any second. <laughs> just be like, hey guys, what's happening? I have a beak. <laughs> Honestly, I wanted him to have just this dumb entourage. He's yeah. like, he's got this like vermin magus, this like inexplicably ancient fucking elf. Uh, you know, the, the the random one elder brain with one illithid and that's it. And then the fucking, when I, when I originally wrote this, and by the way, I wrote this like the third episode of the League of Ultimate Questing Battle Axes. When I wrote the name Noggin for the fucking intellect of power, it fucking killed me. Yes, it's, like, it's a good dog. I, I like Noggin. Noggin for a dog name in general is great, but the idea of an intellect of hour that is very sentient, but just acts like a dog because he's vibing. And it literally says, I'm just vibing, y'all. Like, I, I get yeah. it. What, what's he going to do? Get a job, pay taxes? Like, <laughs> I would too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's face it, he's an intellect intellect devourer fucking service animal at this point in like, time. Like kind of fetishy. Mm-hmm. I mean that's fair. Yeah, but clearly he's the smartest person in this fucking city. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm most excited for the fact that uh what you did in that town has implications and I like I like how little it was touched on. I like that we didn't stick around to find out all the details, that there wasn't a bunch of lore dump, there wasn't like, oh, let me explain everything. It's just like some shit just happened. We gotta go. That's I'm, what it is. I, I'm glad we're never going back. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm Zachary Barkas. I'm the dungeon. I'm the whole dungeon, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Entrance. Exit. I would say that generally my favorite moment here was uh, actually the way Gaspar behaved around Obsessa. Uh I really liked it that, that he wasn't like super hostile, but like cordial oh i was so ready to be hostile i (laughs) I was surprised too and i liked it but your description of the city is like oh this is like if everybody is properly doing something at least we haven't found out the bad stuff yet sure (laughs) sure (laughs) zach would never put 
bad stuff hidden no, below the surface. Never. That's just not necessarily who I am as a person. But there I go, <laughs> surprising people again. God damn it. How dare you? Why can't I just do the right thing? Be the same person every day. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite, like, semi-improv moment from myself was actually the Goliath of the fucking handicap. <laughs> it's just like, I'm here to hoist. <laughs> Wait, I, me, oh, yeah, way I, to make I, me feel bad about not being a Goliath immediately. Oh, of course. When we were taking off from the city, I was about to say, don't forget to leave the Goliath behind. Thought <laughs> <laughs> about it. I really liked that uh, when Gaspar took him over, he, he was into it. Yeah, he's like, whatever, man, I'll hoist. He's like, oh, like expert, ho- like this is the true meaning. Pro level hoist. He's a service hoister. Oh, he mm. put that shit on his resume. I hoisted a spirit. <laughs> right. Like I, I was ready to be like, Gaspar. <laughs> but I'm like, no, cool. I, I adored this chapter. Uh, this might be one of my favorites ever. Uh, and I keep saying that at each successive chapter. It was but a I tense one. I fucking love it. We had a lot of fun. It was a lot of goofs, but it at no point felt like there was no tension. I always felt like there was stakes, and I really enjoy when when you as players help me feel like there's stakes. And I, I just cannot wait for the shit that's going to come down the pipeline. Yeah. Thank you, Sam Hedegar, the editor, for editing this. I'm sorry that I literally had to had to clean up and prep the episodes for the last chapter during this recording because I just <laughs> forgot. I'm so sorry about that. And thank you for all of your help. Thank you again, everybody who listens. But until next time, we wish you luck. Yeah.